Welcome to the Uppercase Podcast, where we talk to our nation's best teachers. Brought to you by Uppercase, a collaborative mobile app for teachers to get answers from experts. So today we have Karen Long, who is an Uppercase expert. Um, Karen, I'll kick it to you just to introduce yourself. Hi, so um, my name is Dr. Karen Long, and I'm Director of Educational Technology and Innovation at Montverde Academy in Central Florida. Um, 35 years in, in the profession, love to teach and love to help teachers learn how to teach and um, have had a lot of really great experiences, including working at uh, public schools, Title I schools, uh, now private school, and also at NASA Education for a period of time. So um, lots of diverse experiences in the STEM fields. Awesome. So I wanted to actually start from the very beginning, like 35 years ago. Uh, (laughs) If you can think back on sort of the moment you decided to become a teacher and what really inspired that for you. So I always grew up um, playing school in in my bedroom, grabbing my sister's Spanish textbook and very poorly speaking any of the words that were written, um, (laughs) teaching my dolls. (laughs) I knew nothing about what I was doing, but I do remember playing. And, um, but later on when I was in high school, I really got into journalism and thought I would be a broadcast journalist and entered college with that major declared. And my sophomore year, um, I was in a dance class and somebody ran in and said that the space shuttle had exploded. And so um, we all took off and I ran back to my sorority house and was watching the news. And that was the year that Krista McAuliffe Um, the teacher educator was on Challenger Mm. and I watched how the journalists were really pursuing the families, especially Krista's family, um, wanting a response from them. And I knew at that moment, there was no way I could do that job. (laughs) Um, and so I left my sorority and declared education as my major. Um, so that's kind of where it all all began. I think it, it was always in the background for me, but that moment was the pivotal moment that I decided to um, become a teacher. And that is also an interesting moment because you talk about the space shuttle, and I know um, there was a pivotal moment also when you were young of sort of really being obsessed with space and science and um, all things, you know, uh, related to that. So I wanted yeah. to dig in on that too. Was that a, a piece of this as well? Like your passion for science? Yeah, I've always had a passion, uh, in the STEM fields. My mom was a, a medical technologist, um, and she always raised me to get my hands in the dirt and plant and learn kind of how things work. That was her wheelhouse. And, Um, In fourth grade, we did the standard, you know, build a solar system project, um, probably that every fourth grader in the nation has done at some point. And uh, but the neat thing about that project that year was I was going to school in Ohio and our senator was John Glenn, Mm -hmm. um, the first man to orbit the Earth, uh, first U.S. man to orbit the Earth. And uh, so as, his, as our senator, our teacher um, made a, 
an extra credit assignment to send a letter to him and talk about what we had learned about the solar system. And so I did it for the extra credit, but certainly wasn't expecting a response. But Mr. Glenn, Senator Glenn was, was very gracious and sent a whole packet full of information about uh, the moon landings. And, you know, it wasn't that far after the moon landings when I was in fourth grade. Um, but um, he sent me all that information and a, and a signed picture of him as an astronaut. And it was, it just really made an impression on me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of geeked out when it comes to NASA stuff and STEM and, and teaching in general. Those are my passions. It's amazing, too, to think about how, like, one spark like that, right, mm-hmm. can actually light up a student. I mean, you remember that moment. That's fourth grade, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, well, I was actually talking to some students this weekend, and they were sharing with me how nervous they were about the spelling bee. And I, you know, shared with them my experiences with the spelling bee again in fourth grade and messing up on the word balloon. And I bet you now really definitely know how to spell balloon. Oh, I know how to spell balloon. Yeah, there's no problem. There's no no issue with that now. But they were doing the math and one of them had the nerve to say, oh, my gosh, you must have been in the spelling bee when my grandmother was uh, carrying my dad before he was born. (laughs) And and that that kind of, you know, kind of cut me. (laughs) (laughs) but it it, it emphasized the impact that you know those little moments can have on any child really and carrying on through adult and you know and I remember the not so good things too Um, but it, it does it does truly shape you on who you are as an adult and that's one of the things that I love about being a an educator um it's truly the greatest profession on earth I love that. I love that. I want to I want to double click on some of what you said about um, you know really supporting students in in particular moments in a minute. But um, I really want to spend time right now on your work in STEM because it's quite extraordinary. Um, I know you've sponsored like numerous opportunities for for your students to develop talents in STEM. Um, I just want you to spend a little bit of time talking about that, um, especially for. Um, some of your, you know, younger students getting them excited like you were excited uh, in the fourth grade, just some of the ways that you've done that for for your students. Well, working at NASA has definitely given me a variety of different opportunities that that teachers in general probably would not have um, because I have former colleagues that, you know, I can call and say, hey, <laughs> can you make a connection with this class? And they're, they're so gracious um, there because they, they do understand that inspiring the next generation of explorers also inspires those students to eventually enter those professions and then populates the, the NASA field to keep it going. So um, NASA is really great about that. And, and they have a variety of different educational programs that really any teacher can be a part of. Um, one is GLOBE which is the global learning observations to benefit of the environment. And uh, what those students do is they do various field observations as um, scientists, true scientists, 
and they submit those observations back to NASA, where the NASA scientists and climatology use that data in order to um, verify some of the results that they're getting from satellites. And so uh, what it teaches the kids is providing ground truth and um, the verification of the steps of the scientific process and how important that observation is and the difference between quantitative and qualitative data. And um, it gives the kids a, a really great hands-on experience in order to understand what those topics really mean. And then it provides a foundation for them to build on when they get to higher levels in science. And what I found um, through some of my data, own data collection uh, with my classes following them throughout the years is that their science scores have improved over time over the students that didn't have exposure to this particular program. And so, oh. um, so we're really, we really still do focus on it here at this school um, in upper elementary and lower middle school, and uh, they are continuing the program. You know, and then, of course, um, grabbing opportunities when I can for students to come and meet uh, people that are in the field. Mm. Um, we do uh, innovation speaker series uh, where uh, students and parents alike are all invited over to our innovation center. We have two speakers coming up, one in February, um, who's working at Lockheed Martin yeah. as an aerospace engineer. Um, we have another one that I'm currently working on getting scheduled in April, hopefully, um, who is a nuclear physicist um, that works in California and is a former student of one of the teachers here and started off at a community college, which I thought was incredibly interesting um, because a lot of times community colleges get a bad rap. Um, you know, those are for the students that can't hack it in a four-year college, and that simply isn't true. Nope. Um, it, it, it provides a great foundation for students, and it's more economical, actually, mm -hmm. uh, getting those courses started, the same courses that they would take in a four-year, those first two years, um, and, and then they can launch into their major when, when they are ready to do so. So um, we try to we try to provide those kinds of opportunities so students can see themselves in those careers at some point and very um, very purposeful in selecting a diverse representation as well uh, because this school has 120 nationalities. No, 100. No, I'm sorry, 98 nationalities. Wow. Here at this school, students from all over the world are here. And so um, I want to make sure that they see an adult version of what they could be at one point. I love that. So for a student, or for, excuse me, for a teacher who's just getting started on this and maybe like wants access to uh, some of the resources you mentioned from NASA or um, ideas of, you know, sort of bringing scientists into classrooms. I mean, where would you tell them to start? Because you are so seasoned, obviously, and have been doing this for so long. But I'm, I'm curious for like a newer educator who wants to bring that hands-on approach to, uh, learn, you know, teaching science, what you would recommend where to begin. Yeah. Uh, so there's a variety of different programs. First, I would definitely refer to GLOBE. Um, their email, not their email, their URL is globe.gov. 
Okay. Um, so that's definitely a place to start. Um, training is in there. Training is all free. And uh, you can log the hours of online training that you do. And uh, they have mentors to help you get started. And so um, that's one of the easiest ways. NASA education is also another area that I would also look at. And that's nasa.gov. And then you just click the four teachers. Um, I believe they call it STEM engagement now. Um, so it's it's changed since the six years that I've been over there. Um, but they have a variety of online resources from lesson plans to um, posters to lithographs to um, opportunities to interview uh, with um, people that are in the profession and make connections, distance connections with them. Um, via Zoom um, or Teams. So that is another wonderful place to go as well. Uh, the other things that I would highly recommend for any, any educator, but in particular elementary educators, because we know that elementary teachers are not adequately trained in how to teach science and social studies because the core content focus is reading and mathematics. Yeah. It's, get lots of training in inquiry and mm -hmm. cooperative learning and constructivist learning um, because we know that those are the ways that we need to teach the sciences. Um, and, and those all bleed out into the other subjects as well. Math should be hands-on. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that, you know, if you, if you subscribe to Piaget's operational learning, um, that our elementary students are very concrete and they stay concrete um, until they get, they don't move into the pre-abstract phase until they get later on into high school. Mm. Um, so even our middle school students need that hands-on, that physical touch in order to be able to relate a concept that is very abstract and be able to formulate what that means to them in their brains. And then from that, that's they can make those connections afterwards. Um, so the outside training has to be done in order to do that. And I know classroom teachers don't have a lot of time, um, yeah. but unfortunately, um, you know, those two months we get off in summer. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, that's the time when you need to seek out those kinds of opportunities and professional development. Um, you know, take a look to see what, what your school would offer, your school system would offer as far as traveling to places to learn how to do some of this. Look into NSTA, the National Science Teachers Association. Mm. Um, look into Kagan Cooperative Learning. I love how they set up cooperative learning. Um, get some training there, get your school system to pay for it, write a grant to pay for it. Um, those are the things that I would probably start with. Mm -hmm. And um, also AIMS, AIMS is also a great resource. Um, AIMS, I think they're AIMS.org. Okay. They have a lot of wonderful um, books that really tell step-by-step step how to teach certain concepts um, in the sciences. And, uh, and then don't be afraid of technology. You know, technology is here to stay. Because uh, your current role is so focused on this. I would love for you to just talk through a, a bit about that because I think it's so interesting 
that you bring some of that into, you know, across the board, but specifically in science as well? Yeah. So, tech, you know, really the tech generation is here in our schools now. And um, I think, yeah, and, and, and I think where we falter as educators that are in the seasoned branch, I love that word, thank you, <laughs> a lot nicer than old, um, <laughs> um, those of us that are in the seasoned branch, you know, we're all, as adults, we're very careful with what we use, and, you know, I've, I've been around since chalkboards, um, chalkboards became whiteboards, and then whiteboards became smartboards, um, and so I've seen that evolution happen, and now our smart boards are in our kids' hands with tablets. Um, they all know how to use this equipment, so and they're engaged with it, so why not utilize it as a tool in order to help them learn? Mm -hmm. um, lots of really wonderful engagement apps out there um, that can help for review processes, um, like quizzes, Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z, mm -hmm. um, Kahoot, GimKit, um, those are all wonderful review engagement apps. Um, we also use Nearpod. Mm -hmm. um, Nearpod is a great way to teach a concept and where you can break it down, stop, ask assessment questions, you know, intermittently to help that formative assessment as they, as they are learning uh, their concepts. Um, you know, bring in different pieces of technology to allow them to express their learning. You know, the 3D printers, the engravers, the carvers. Um, you know, even if you don't have a 3D printer, you can download for free the, the apps to allow them to build their 3D in a virtual environment mm -hmm. um, and allow them to experiment with their, their um, understanding in that way. Merge is another great one um, that brings augmented reality to the classroom. Um, and not only do they, can they hold something in their hand that's, you know, a con like the water cycle, They'll, they can hold it in their hand using this merge cube. Um, but they can also build these augmented realities based on their understanding to display for other people as well. So it's a complete process. Um, it, it's there's just so much out there. The trick is uh, being to understand several things. Number one, is it intuitive? Mm. Uh, because if it's not for those teachers that are what I call tech phobic, yeah. um, they won't use it. Mm -hmm. um, does it connect to your standards? Yeah. Uh, are you able to integrate it within your standards? And uh, is it easy to provide uh, professional development for your teachers to use and then monitoring it? So it's not just about, oh, this is way cool. Let's buy it. Let's invest it. Let's invest $10,000 for our school mm -hmm. to do this. But you have to monitor it during the time too. Not so much to, to uh, you know, point your finger at, a, at an educator saying, oh, you're not using this. It's more about how often is it being used and how is it being used? Is it used being is it being used to grab that assessment data, or is it just being used to give a little time off and allow kids to play for a little bit, which is also important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they need that break. Uh, so it's it 
it's important to be able to to support the use and um, be responsible with your budget mm -hmm. as well. Um, so there's lots of different things to consider. Yeah, I love that. I love too. I mean, one of the things that um, I had read when you first uh, were applying to uppercase was that really struck me as interesting is obviously you're so rooted in technology and science and STEM fields, but you also mentioned in your application, I know this is true, that you really connect ideas to music and movement. And that's part of sort of what you love to do in terms of bringing learning to life. So I wanted to see if you could maybe explain that a bit. But you're not asking me to perform. No, no, not today. Not today. Next podcast. Uh, okay. Okay. So one of the things, yeah, one of the things that I like to do, I'm, I'm a big believer in the multiple intelligences, and I know that there have been some studies recently kind of uh, debunking some of that. But my own experiences with students is is that you know we're all so unique and so different that um, a written test doesn't always show what every student understands and knows. You know, some of them have test anxiety. Um, so one of the things that I like to do is, is to give them an opportunity to show me in different ways how they understand a concept. And so, again, there's, there's technology out there that allows them to create videos um, of whatever you place and so um one of the one of the songs that i used that i used to teach um was about the rock cycle and the difference between sedimentary metamorphic and sedimentary metamorphic and igneous rock so and cool. so um we would learn the song and uh, they would have to do the dance movements with it. And uh, then they had to videotape themselves and make their own rock, get it, rock, rock <laughs> video um, with this song. And it was amazing how creative these kids got with this. And it gave me a deeper understanding of exactly what they understood about the process and how sedimentary breaks down and could be melted and change into igneous and then you know the pressure changes into metamorphic um it, it gave me a far greater impression of the depth of their understanding than just giving them a regular test and at the end of the year um, i would always for their final exam give them choices about how they wanted to display their knowledge from the year so some of them chose to take the standard test but some of them created artwork Mm -hmm. And they would create um, posters, infographics, showing the different spheres of the earth, the atmosphere, the biosphere, the hydrosphere. Um, and they would explain the different concepts in that and create this beautiful, very detailed poster using Canva um, in order to explain those concepts and the depth of their understanding. And the kids that express themselves better in that way always did very well, um, as well as the kids that express themselves better with the standardized test also did very well. Um, so I just, I believe in, in providing a variety of different options for students to be able to share what they know, um, because if you don't do that, you'll you'll never fully get a, a 100% um, glimpse of, of exactly just exactly how much they know 
And I also feel like, I mean, this brings us full circle. Like those are the types of activities that you remember as an adult, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you know, in the fourth grade when I did that, like rock song, right? I mean, those are the things that, that students actually remember, which also allows them to retain learning, right? It's fascinating. Well, I have upper school students that I had as sixth graders that'll come to me in the office and, you know, <laughs> they'll still repeat that song for me in my office. And it just makes me laugh every single time. And they still do the movements, break, move, drop. You know? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they're learning a bit, you know, when they learned about deposition and, you know, this, how, how the rocks move and, you know, travel downstream. And, you know, they, the fact that they could still do it tells me I did my job. So, <laughs> as well as makes me laugh. <laughs> this brings me to, to the other point that we touched on in the very top of the, the podcast, which was you were talking about, you know, the moments that you remember as a kid, both in terms of like really powerful learning, um, but also in terms of um, social emotional learning, right? Like those moments that maybe didn't go so well that you also remember. So I wanted to to touch on that a bit, like how you think about, uh, SEL in the classroom and really supporting students um, in this sort of, you know, well-rounded way, because I think it's it's such an important piece to, to learning in general. So, so educators now that are coming into the profession, I think have some very unique challenges that I didn't have when I entered 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really worried about uh, somebody coming into us to my school and shooting up the staff and yeah. and the kids. Um, I never really worried about some of the drug issues. There were drug issues, but not to the extent that we have now. Or you know the things that we hear about the amount of bullying that happens not only in person but online and how that affects. Um, social emotional learning for our students and and i was bullied um, when i was in middle school and i I distinctly remember some of those specific bullies Um, and yeah it did it impacted me Um, so i think one of the things that that is told to a lot of educators now is um, you know yes you need to remain professional but you also it's imperative to let these kids know that you care about them mm-hmm. and make yourself open to listening, really, truly listening to what they say. And, and I know that it's very, you know, we all do it when somebody asks us for a piece of advice, um, we want to fix it. And so we don't listen. We try to spout out our own experiences and share what's coming from our side of things, but kids really need somebody to listen to them. And then at that point, you need to make a determination of, is this something that I should handle on my own or do I need to share this with a counselor Mm. and, and then pursue it from that standpoint. I'm not afraid to hug my students. Mm. I tell them consistently, I love them. Mm. Um, I think it's very different for male teachers than it is for female teachers. I think we, we are offered the opportunity for more touch Mm-hmm. Um, than male teachers are, but male teachers could certainly um, make those connections with kids in other ways too. You know, playing, playing at recess with them, or being silly. We have this great eighth grade science teacher here, 
um, Scott Werner. I call him MacGyver. Um, <laughs> but he is, during our talent shows that we have, the man is not afraid to dress up in a tutu and do a very bad ballet movement in front of, you know, all of these middle school students on a stage. But, you know, by making himself vulnerable like that, the kids know he cares mm -hmm. um, and that he's willing to put himself in a place where they can laugh with him. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, it's it, it's so, so important to make those connections with your kids, because as Teddy Roosevelt used to say, you know, people um People will not care as much about how you, what you know, until they know what, that you care. Yeah. And so, um, students, same thing. They they don't care about learning until they know you care about them. And so, it's it's very important to be able to express that to your students. And the listening piece is so interesting, right? Because as a teacher you feel like your role is to like share all this information. Right. And yep. sometimes like educators, at least for me, nobody taught me as an early stage teacher, like listening is so right to being a great teacher and actually being able to like really understand where your students are. Well, I, the biggest mistake that I made as a first year teacher um, and I'm, I'm one of those that's very empathetic is we had, I had a student whose grandmother moved in with her who was um, on dialysis mm. and I made it an, an instant connection to that um, um, just because of my mom's medical background. And, you know, so I was trying to make sure that this student, I understood, I heard, I heard this student say she was worried about her. I knew her grades were kind of going down because she was worried about her. And, um, so I ended up writing a letter mm. to the parents and putting it in an envelope and didn't seal it. <laughs> mm. And, um, to, and I gave it to the student and told the student, look, this is not a bad letter. You're not in trouble. I just wanted to share some information with your parents. Please make sure your parents get it. Well, the girl misinterpreted what I said and that it was a good letter, you know, of praise handed it to her grandmother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and her grandmother felt terrible and her father called the school and was outraged and should have been. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was crushed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, knowing, knowing that that was a very valuable lesson for me as far as communication, going home and being reaching out to that student as well. Um, I should have made a phone call to mm -hmm. those parents instead of sending a letter. Um, so it's knowing when to do the appropriate things and making sure that you have that open communication with the families as well, because if, if you have parents that are angry with you or against you, you know, those can also, that can bleed into the learning of that student as well. And so you want to establish those really good communication techniques. Yeah. I, I, as you're telling this story, I mean, and I had similar sort of circumstances when I was in my first early years, it just reminds me how important it is to have support around mm -hmm. you in the early days, um, especially like the first few years. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, this is kind of a two-part question, but one sort of where you find that support and then self-care, I really wanted to ask about because I think 
there's no way you sustained yourself for 35 years in this profession without self-care. So <laughs> talk to us about that, especially for the educators who are just starting in this profession. I think this is a really important topic. Yeah. So, so lean on the people that are around you that have experience. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I had a wonderful mentor, um, Patricia Campbell, um, when I was, I, I was thinking of my fifth or sixth year of teaching and, you know, she, I don't, I don't mind admitting I was a hot headed young teacher who thought I knew it all. Um, and not saying that, that new teacher, all new teachers are like that. They're not, but I was, and she, she really kind of brought me down to, Hey, you need to listen more. This is how you do it. She had me come and observe her during during conferences, which was so valuable, um, how she was able to communicate with parents and, st- and students, um, how she did her lesson plans, what she did in order to create them. Um, you know, you get great experiences in college, but the best experience is when you're thrown into the fire and you have your own class. You, are, you will screw up mm-hmm. and you will do good things and you just have to accept that as part of the process. Um, and kind of hang in there uh, for about five years before really it takes about five years before you really figure out what you're doing. And then to understand that you're going to evolve the entire time, because when you learn the new PD or when you, you learn some kind of new teaching concept, because new stuff is happening all the time after you leave college, um, being open to those to those new experiences from the new teachers that are coming in after you is also important, right? Um, so uh, what we um, what we need to do as professionals is be able to reach out to each other and understand that no teacher is an island um, and that we need each other. Um, in order to, to, I don't want to say survive, but it is, it's, it's a survival. <laughs> um, it's, it's so much work. Um, and, and you're working all, all the time. I mean, you know, after school, before school, during school, during the summer, um, understand it's not just an eight to five job. Yeah. Um, and you're thinking about it all the time, right? Yes. About that one student or that one lesson that didn't go well or like how to, you know, shift something for the next day. Or I feel like it's it's that constant, it's constantly on your mind. Well, or even, you know, getting back to the SEL, are, are you teaching in a Title I school in the middle of a neighborhood where you know that there are gunfights all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, I had that experience and I worried constantly, are my kids going to get home safe? Because they walk through that neighborhood all the time. And I would breathe a sigh of relief the next morning when they showed up at my door. Okay, they made it for another day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so all of that stuff impacts you. And and it that leads into, into, into the self-care portion of it. Yeah. Um, having an incredibly supportive family around you that understands your commitment to the profession and to your students. Um, Knowing that it's a service profession, right? But also understanding they need to shake you when you need to (laughs) get a break um, and make you sit down and take that break. I had a wonderful husband of, um, we were together for almost 20 years before he passed and he was very 
uh, diligent in making sure we would go out on regular dates or he would send me for a massage or, you know, whatever, or just even I'd sit down on the couch and my feet would hurt so bad. He'd take my shoes off and rub my feet. I mean, it was just, (laughs) he was so, so wonderful to me. And, um, I currently have a boyfriend now that is equally supportive. He listens to me and, you know, lets me cry on the shoulder occasionally, um, when I need to, and two wonderful sons that do the same. They're all um, so, so great um, in that support. But if you don't have that, then you need to do it yourself, and you need to be purposeful for yourself as well, getting to bed at a decent time, you know, purposely saying it is 9 o'clock, I'm going to bed, this stuff can wait. It, it, it will It'll still be there the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Uh Taking, you know, sick days aren't just because you're (laughs) sick. Sick days are mental health days, too. And if you need a mental health day, don't be afraid to take that day. And I know sometimes it's even more work for you to plan those sub times out. But there's lots of great resources out on the Internet now that will still keep your kids on the path to learning without you having to create it from scratch. I didn't have that when I started, but it's there now. So finding those resources and keeping, you know, a packet of sub-day activities for your classes, um, go ahead and establish that so they can just pull right from those folders and you really don't have to do anything extra. That's really part of your job. So being purposeful in what you need to do in order to take care of yourself, because if you can't take care of you, you certainly can't take care of the kids that you're expected to teach. It's so much about routines too, right? I mean, just hearing, I feel like getting into those routines that really sort of honor self-care and are consistent Mm -hmm. seem to be so important because I always laugh anytime I have a a Zoom or call with teachers, like they're on time to the minute, right? Because you have to be. It's in school, like you're showing up at the exact minute that bell is ringing and you are there and you are present. um, And there's not a lot of wiggle room, right? Right. um, Making sure that you're baking into that, you know, sort of rigid schedule time for yourself feels really mandatory. Yes, it is 100%. Awesome. So my last question for you, Karen, is is sort of a very general one, but it really is, you know, framing some of the conversation we have had today about how difficult it is to be a teacher today, um, how much work it is. And I'm thinking about sort of this next generation coming into the profession. I want to know why you teach. <laughs> why do I teach? Um, well, I teach because I get self-satisfaction in knowing that I've made an impact for the future. Um, I, you know, all our time is limited here on this planet. And, you know, it kind of, it, it, it makes me sad to know that for some people, their legacy is stone in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, to know that you were once there on the planet. I really want my legacy to be establishing the love of learning because it really is the foundation of society. Society doesn't improve without wonderfully educated citizens, um, well-educated citizens. Um, 
it's not that I expect generations later for my name to be spoken, but I do expect that the love of learning I place in my students now will be passed on through the generations. And that's my legacy. Mm. That's the thing that I'm most excited about. And that doesn't happen anywhere except within teaching. Um, and it, it, it makes me incredibly um incredibly sad to see how the teaching profession is attacked today. Um, It makes me nauseous to hear teachers say, oh, you don't want to go into teaching. It's this, that, or the other. Um, To see the teaching shortages that are out there. To me, teaching is a wonderful profession, and it has its negatives just like every other profession out there. but it takes the ones that are passionate about learning and education in general to be good teachers. And um, I, we need them. They are, they are essential workers as we found out in COVID. <laughs> um, and, and so that's why I teach. I, I teach because I want, I, want, I want future generations to love education as much as I have and to, cons- to to maintain this strong nation that we have um, and we are blessed to be a part of. Mm, I love that. I don't think there's anything else to say to that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, such an excellent conversation. Thank you so much for the time. Um, And we're so excited to have you be a part of Uppercase. Oh, I'm, and I'm excited to be a part of it, too, and excited to have the opportunity to to reach out to those new teachers and any teacher that's asking a question to be able to share some of my expertise and just to be a shoulder if, if they need to to relax a little bit, do a little self-care and, uh, you know, ask an opinion about how to handle a situation. I'm happy to be there for you as well. Totally. Right. Just a, even like a resource or a, a just for yeah. it's, it can change, change the day for sure. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Karen. So you're welcome. Enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the uppercase podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Find us on the web at uppercaseteach.com and coming soon to an app store near you.